Well, good morning. Glad that you're here with us this morning, and uh, we are nearing the end of our series on loving your neighbor. Uh, I can uh, remember uh, 12 years ago, summer of 2004, sitting in a class with Dr. Richard Pratt and having my whole view of the Bible, thus Christianity, altered because of his teaching of Genesis to Revelation. And so this morning, we're going to address something that's been a passion of mine since that summer. For the past 12 years, we're going to address loving your neighbor through work or loving your neighbor through vocation. I believe that understanding the integration of faith and work are critical. Do you know how many of those of you here that are from ages of 23 to 65 or when you live from age 23 to 65, you will log around 2,266 hours in a church seat or a church pew if you're a Christian. 2,266 hours. That's fairly significant. But do you know how many hours for those of you who remain employed will work in a job over that same period of time? 96,000 hours. 96,000 hours as an engineer, a house cleaner, an entrepreneur, a landscaper, a nurse, a construction worker, a business owner, a lawyer, an artist, a store employee in a retail store, a waitress, a therapist, a stay-at-home mom, or a stay-at-home dad, which may be the hardest vocation of all. I could go on and on. Yet I would say the majority of you have not heard or been taught a good theology of work. Many of you don't know how to connect your faith to your work. Many of you don't know how to connect your faith in Jesus to the 96,000 hours. Now, I don't put that on the failure of you, but I actually put that on the failure of the church. Dorothy Sayers wrote this, and nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. Princeton's university's uh, director of faith and work initiative, David Miller, reports this. Fewer than 10% of churchgoers, surveys say, can remember the last time that their pastor preached on the topic of work. People in the pews seldom hear from the pulpit that God has a plan that includes your work and that your faith can help inform how you approach your work. Now, in the last few years, there has been a rise of kind of faith and work initiatives, nonprofits, to, to help people connect faith and work. But I would say, in general, in, in general, that the church has failed to equip its people on a theology of work. And so my prayer this morning is that God would lead all of us into a deeper understanding of how we can love our neighbor through our work. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to look at two short passages this morning in Genesis chapter 1. And then in Colossians chapter 2, this is God's word to us this morning. Let's turn our attention to the God who speaks to us. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Slaves, and that in this context is talking about employees, 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or who are your bosses. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, Let's pray. God, I ask that you speak to us this morning. God, I ask that you would illumine our minds to understand how beautiful the scriptures are. Correct our misunderstandings and, Lord Jesus, root us more deeply in a proper understanding of of salvation and our role within your work here on earth. Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the one who preaches, be pleasing to you? And would you be exalted in this place this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at a misconception of work, the importance of work, and then the stewardship of work. So the misconception, the importance, and the stewardship of work. Let's look first at the misconception of work. The first misconception that we can have about work is that we view work as a curse. We wake up on Monday morning and we have a hard time getting out of bed because it's not very exciting to head into work. Uh, It's painful. We're going to toil at work yet again, and it's drudgery. And then we get excited about Friday because Friday means the weekend is here and there's no more work. Life without work seems to be the ideal for many. I've had many people tell me that their goal is to make enough money to retire when they turn 40. And I've also had people tell me that they would rather get government subsidy than get a job. In both of these, the ideal vision of life is a life without work. It's a life of leisure. Whether that be leisure of travel or the leisure to stay in bed as long as you want or the leisure of a preferred hobby. The ideal life, we think, is being on no one's time clock, on our own schedule, not working for the man, doing what we want when we want. The Bible, on the contrary, teaches us that work is a gift. Work is a good thing. God himself works. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates. He works six days, and then he rests one day. And God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he told them to work, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the earth. The garden, paradise, had work. See, after the fall, work does become cursed. Adam is told he will toil and it will be hard, but just because work is cursed does not mean that work is a curse. Work's a gift. We were created to work. We need it. Now let me give you two very different pictures of life. Rachel and I used to watch Downton Abbey together until she started to just blow through it and left me behind and finished the whole, the whole episode, uh, or not the episode, the hundreds of episodes, the whole uh, show. Uh, and it's about, if you've never seen it, it's about Downton, England, a royal wealthy family. Uh, the show is about those who live upstairs in the real home of Downton, the, the royalty, the wealthy, and then those who live below who serve in Downton. And the interesting thing is that uh, often the royal family, the wealthy, find themselves looking for something to do that gives them purpose. Because of their, their wealth, they don't have to work. But what you see with them is that they sort of feel purposeless and useless without some type of work. Because utter leisure is hell. 
not heaven. Here's a second picture. Someone is incarcerated. Someone who lives life in prison without a job, without purpose, can go mad, stir crazy. Right, why do you think one of the most severe punishments in prison is solitary confinement? Not only are you without relationship, which is what we were created for, but you're without purpose. You're without work, which is what we were created for, and that is hell. And not having work can destroy people. I'd also say that this is why unemployment is devastating. And unemployment must be addressed in our society, in our city, if we want this city of Durham to flourish and live the way God has designed. That's the first misconception about work. Here's the second misconception. Work is your worth. Work's your worth. This is the belief you are what you do. This is the person who works for all the wrong reasons. The person who works so hard that in doing so, they seek to replace God or be God or be independent of God. This is the person who only feels good about themselves when their work is successful and fruitful. Many of you have probably seen the Rocky movies. Uh, the original Rocky in 1976. Rocky is this nobody from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a, a fighter in life. He's a boxer in profession. And he trains hard Long hours, he eats right, he's running. I mean, you see him punching frozen meat like in the, in the meat locker. Rocky's working hard. And right before his fight with Apollo Creed, Rocky says this, I don't need to win. I just need to go to the distance, to go the distance to show I'm not a bum. To show I'm not a bum. It would, it would be easy to look at Rocky and think, man, Rocky's got great work ethic. Rocky is driven, but Rocky is working so hard because he doesn't want people to think that he's a bum. His worth and value are tied to his job. And for many of you who work long hours and you stay up late and you're coming up constantly with new ideas for your company or for a new company, many can think you have a great work ethic. And I want to challenge you and ask you, do you really have a great work ethic or are you scared to death that people will think you're a bum? And are you just really good at making work your idol? I have to confess that my wife would probably tell you this is me. <laughs> this is where I am. I feel good about Daniel when I'm productive. I feel good when I can go into work and I accomplish a lot. It is really difficult for me to sit around and do nothing. It's true even on, vo on, on vacation. <laughs> on vaca in vacation. Uh, it's hard for me to rest. On vacation. I need to be productive. We will only rest when we really believe that our work does not define us, but the love of God towards us as His children defines us. That the love of Christ that abounds to us secures us. The work of the Lord Jesus, His life and His death and His resurrection must define us. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished. It's finished. His work is finished. Therefore, Christian, we can rest. These are the misconceptions of work. Let's look secondly at the importance of work. John Eldridge writes, I dare say we've heard a bit about original sin, but not nearly enough about original glory, which comes before sin and is deeper to our nature. God creates in Genesis 1. He creates Adam and Eve in His image. God works, and part of being in His image is that we are created to work. Adam and Eve did so in the garden. 
heard one pastor say, paradise is not vacation, but vocation. Really is. God created man and woman to work, to teach, to build schools, to make music, to heal the physical ailments of our society. And one of the major reasons that I think many of us don't have a good theology of work is that we don't understand Genesis 1 to 2. Many of us read the Bible as though it starts at Genesis chapter 3, which is when Adam and Eve fall into sin. And it is true that we live in a world full of brokenness because of, fall, of falling into sin with Adam and Eve in the garden, and that Jesus' work is finished and He has purchased the redemption of all things, right? But if we live without an understanding of creation and, and without an understanding of restoration, we live with only the middle of the salvation story. A story that doesn't have a beginning nor an end. And without the beginning and without the end, then our understanding of what Jesus accomplishes is skewed. Work is part of the original glory. And work will be part of the restored kingdom of God. Do you get that? The new heavens and the new earth and the completion of what the garden was supposed to be, it is the completion, which means work will be part of the new heavens and new earth. If we don't understand original glory, we will miss the future glory. Paradise is not floating up into the air, into what we call heaven, and playing a harp on a cloud. Paradise is a land, it's a city that is flourishing with the worship of God's people, with community, with celebration, and with work. Now, this banishes any thought that there is a secular, sacred divide in our world. That only overtly spiritual things are important, and then there are secular things, right? There's your faith, which may be seen in how you read the Bible, or how you pray, or evangelism, how you do ministry. That's the sacred. And then you have all your other activities and your work, which is the secular. This understanding of what I'm talking about banishes a secular, sacred divide. All of life including your work, is part of God's world and will be part of the new heavens and the new earth. We work now and we will work in glory. God is declaring in Genesis 1, through giving Adam and Eve work, that He makes Himself known, that God is glorified in culture and in our workplaces, that God is not just in the mystical experiences like prayer and spending time in His Word, but that God is at your work, and He's in your work. Again, this means there is no secular, sacred divide. Me being a pastor is no more important to God and His kingdom than you being a hairdresser, a professor, a mom with children, or a student. Now the church, and again in general, and ministries can promote this divide through its teaching and through its ministries. I can remember being at a conference in college, I think it was like 1998, and, and being at this conference and being challenged to commit one to three years of my life to overseas ministry. Everybody was challenged to do that. Now, I did spend two years post-college overseas doing missions work, and I loved it, and God used it. But a huge but to that is that I remember feeling a ton of pressure that if I really understood the gospel, if I really got the gospel, I would go overseas. I was made to feel like there were tears to Christianity. Right? That people that, that kind of get the gospel as a Christian, 
They might, they might go into business or might become a doctor or, or work at a retail store. If you got it a little bit more than that, you're, you're maybe on another tier and you'd go into campus ministry or, or you'd work stateside. And if you really got it, you'd go overseas. And if you had to stay in the States for some reason, then you would go to under-resourced areas or very dangerous areas if you really love Jesus. There are not tears and there are no orders to God's work on earth. God created you in His image. and He's given each of you gifts and talents to be employed in many differing types of work so that He is glorified through your work. And so that through you, He is subduing every part of this world. The calling a person receives to be a pastor or to be a missionary is the same calling a person should feel in becoming a doctor, a teacher, a mechanic. Do you know the first person in the Bible who was filled with the Spirit? Bible trivia. First, first person in the Bible filled with the Spirit. Bezalel. Bezalel, who was the general kind of contractor design person on the temple of God. He was filled with the Spirit to accomplish His work. Are you only filled with the Spirit in order to pray? Are you only filled with the Spirit in in order to read your Bible? No. God fills you with His Holy Spirit to do work. It is not more spiritual to evangelize than it is to write a song. It's not more spiritual for you to read your Bible than it is to close a deal. All of life is spiritual, which means nine-tenths of your life, which is working, is vitally connected to your faith. So maybe you're sitting there and you're going, okay, Daniel, this is good. It's good in theory, but... Go to work, and it, it sure doesn't feel like a calling. It doesn't feel this way. How, how can we make this more, a little bit more practical? Glad you asked that question. So I'm going to go to my third point, which is the stewardship of work. The stewardship of work. Genesis 1 has been referred to as the cultural mandate. Cultural mandate, the way in which God's image bearers bring God's rule and reign to bear on earth. That our vocations are ways to participate with God in His work here on earth. So stewardship is the right perspective to view work and approach work. It's not just our work, it is the work that God has given and gifted to us for His purposes in this world. All of you, everybody here, has gifts and passions and experiences. And God has gifted those to you to steward and to use for His purposes and for His glory in this world. So I want to give you four implications of these truths to make it a little bit more practical. Four. Viewing work in this way, understanding it this way, enables you to have both ambition and rest. Now I'm riffing here on a pastor friend of mine Uh, that it gives this balance of ambition and rest. Viewing work as a gift for God's purposes in this world allows you the freedom to work hard, the freedom to try your best, to seek to do better, to grow and to lead. It allows for ambition because it's what we're created for. And at the same time, it does not baptize ambition. 
It prevents you from using your vocation from exalting yourself. And it allows you to rest because you know the one who is working and will accomplish his ultimate work. Now this is hard to understand our own hearts of when we're being overly ambitious or kind of abusing rest. You're going to need to pray. You're going to need to ask God to show you when you're really functioning with godly ambition or you're living in sinful unrest. You really need to pray and ask God to show you when you're living in godly rest or you're living in sinful laziness. The beauty of being God's stewards in our vocation for His purpose is that we can be full of ambition and full of rest. Here's the second implication. Viewing work in this way enables you to see that you can have a sweet spot. You can have a sweet spot. I'll I'll describe that. And saying there's no secular sacred divide, it's it's not the same as saying that all vocations are equally worthy. Right? There are obviously some jobs that are morally out of bounds. Right? But I, w- I would hope most of you here would, say, would see that starting a brothel is not a worthy entrepreneurial endeavor as a Christian. And, and before encouraging you to find the sweet spot, I, I need to say that I realize that a number of you who are unemployed or, or maybe you're looking for a job and transitioning out of a job don't always have the luxury to look at options for your job. You may not have the luxury to find this sweet spot. You'd be grateful for just a job. And I will tell you that any job that helps you uh, in providing and helps you uh, in God's stewardship of this world, it, it does. And it's a worthy endeavor as long as it's not morally out of bounds. So some of you may not have that luxury. But I would say many of you have the luxury to look for options in a job. And I would want to encourage you and to pray uh, for you to pray to look for the sweet spot as you seek to advance God's glory through your job. So how do you look for the sweet spot in, in your job? Frederick Beekner writes this, Vocation is the place that God calls you where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Amy Sherman, who is the director of, of the Center on Faith and Communities in Charlottesville, Virginia, has a great diagram. She's the one who kind of termed this the sweet spot, looking for the sweet spot. She uses Beekner, but then she adds to it. She says it's when the sweet spot is when you, have, you take your passions and your gifts and see where they meet the world's great needs as they are aligned with God's priorities. Passions and gifts with the world's great needs aligned with God's priorities. This, mean, this means you need a knowledge of God and His priorities. It means you need a knowledge of yourself and what your gifts and passions are. And it means you need a knowledge of the world and what the world is hungering for. Do you know what God values? And what characteristics are true of His kingdom? The Bible tells us peace, beauty, righteousness, justice, order, creativity, healing, to just name a few. So how can your passions and your gifts and the world's needs and then these priorities line up for you in your vocation? If you do this, you might just find yourself like Eric Little, a true story portrayed in the movie Chariots of Fire, saying, when he runs, I feel God's pleasure. When these three line up, you might just find yourself in a job feeling God's pleasure. 
Now, work will be hard, and there will still be days you just don't feel like going in. And you'll toil, but you will also find yourself feeling the pleasure of God more than you have before. Here's the third implication. Viewing work in this way enables you to see your work not only as a place of ministry, but ministry itself. Maybe you've heard pastors talk about your work as a place of ministry. You can build relationships there. You can act ethically at work. It's a place of ministry, and that's true. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Now, I don't think there is necessarily, the doctors in here, there's a a distinctively Christian way to be a doctor. I think a Christian and a non-Christian who are both doing surgery are doing the exact same thing. But I do think to what end and for what reason they do their job is different. As a Christian who bears God's image, you are bringing to bear on earth through your job God's justice, His righteousness, His healing, His beauty, and this work is in itself ministry. A Christian who builds a school so that children can be educated is doing ministry. A Christian who is a lawyer to help the vulnerable is doing ministry. A hairdresser that is bringing order out of chaos, if I go three months without a haircut, is doing ministry. A Christian artist who creates, just like our Creator God did in the beginning, is doing ministry. A mom or a dad who gets their hands dirty day after day, changing dirty diapers, just like God got His hands dirty when he created us out of the dirt, is doing ministry. A Christian entrepreneur who starts a company to stimulate the economy in a city is doing ministry. A Christian garbage man who cleans up a city to make it beautiful is doing ministry. Your job should lead to the flourishing of this city. Bono of U2 said this, I write songs to tear off corners of darkness so that light will penetrate the darkness. I write songs to tear off corners of darkness, so that light, God's light, will penetrate the darkness. That is the Christian's call in their vocation. I was talking to Brent Bundrick last week, and the Bundricks are getting ready to move to Charlotte uh, so he can practice dentistry, and Amy can be a mom of two boys. And, And I told him that I would love for us as a church to send him and Amy and the children out of this place with prayer and with ascending, knowing that they're going to a calling. They're going to Charlotte to do ministry. This leads me to my last point. Fourth implication. Viewing work this way enables the church to be an aircraft carrier instead of a cruise ship. I think many churches function and operate like cruise ships. I'm not sure if you've ever been on a, on a cruise, but thousands of people load onto a ship, and for days everyone stays on the ship as it moves through the ocean waters. And many churches look to get as many people inside their church, and by church I mean the four walls of the church, to get people doing many things inside the church so that the church can move through the daily and weekly waters. That's a, this kind of mentality of cruise ship is an invitation for everyone to come inside the church. A good theology of work enables the church to be an aircraft carrier instead. Seeing its members and its regular attenders come to Sunday morning worship, 
or come to city group or go to life group and you get fueled up and you get cared for and you get reoriented to Christ and the gospel and then you're sent back out Monday through Friday to do ministry. Every week sent back to your corner of the garden to do ministry. To do your job for the glory of God in this city. That changes the way you view each and every day of the week. I really pray that Christ Central operates like an aircraft carrier. Because I get excited thinking about all of you who come here on a Sunday morning and being sent back out to the schools you teach at or work at, the businesses you own, the offices you work at, the hospitals that you work at, your home that you work at, with a renewed sense of Christ being with you as you go. And how much value what you're doing Monday through Friday has in God's kingdom. And the Bible has over 800 references to work. 800 references from Genesis to Revelation that gives us a theology of work, the dignity of work. And it's His work that God is doing in this world through partnering with us in our work. Catch this. this is, we're trustees. We're stewards of God's work. I, I heard Greg Thompson, who's a pastor in Virginia, tell a story about his dad, Bruce. Bruce was a gifted carpenter, a handyman. His favorite routine was a morning spent on some kind of home improvement project. Now, while Greg's brothers spent Saturday mornings playing football, Greg loved to stay at home and help his dad on projects. One morning, Greg noticed on his father's hammer the initials BT carved into the handle, which stood for Bruce Thompson. And then he saw a second hammer, and on that hammer were the initials GT, Greg Thompson. Greg said that that hammer was an invitation. It was assurance that Greg's participation in his dad's work was not only tolerated, but it was desired. And not only desired, but anticipated. And not only anticipated, but provided for. This is what Jesus has done for his church. He has finished the great work. And one day, someday, he will consummate the new heavens and the new earth. And until that day, he has sent us all out into differing spheres to do his work in education and business and government and media and law and the arts and nonprofits to be his image bearers. And know this you go with God's hammer. Thorns and thistles you will know, but He has called you and He will supply all that you need. So church, how beautiful that we get to be in the family business. We get to work with our Father and pray Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, I ask that You would help us. Lord, to understand these truths of, of how beautiful it is that you've called us to work for your glory, how you've gifted all of us in here with passions and skills. There are no tears. There's no tears to, to, to the work. Someone who owns a business and someone who works at a retail store, equally valuable in the kingdom of God. Someone who's a stay-at-home mom and someone who's a pastor, equally valuable in the kingdom of God. Thank you that you have placed all of these people in this room in so many different places with differing skills and passions. We pray that we would live with your priority, with this 
fresh sense of a vision to work for you, to labor for you, to partner with you. Thank you that you're with us and you've provided all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.